Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. What's up, Fungal Associates? Welcome to Completely Arbitrary, the podcast about trees and other related topics. My name is Alex Croson. I'm one of your hosts. And my other host, our other host... The other host, Mr. Casey Clapp. Bonjour, bonjour, bonjour. Bonjour, Casey. Casey, bonjour. <laughs> Casey, I got something to tell you. I want to hear it. It's a bit of an admission. Uh-oh. Yesterday, uh, we recorded uh last week's episode yeah the pomegranate um and you very smartly brought a pomegranate for us to share i did i saw the seed of it stuck in my teeth oh boy you, yeah. i got some flossers in my yeah, bathroom I, might, I use that yeah so today to be clear i brush my teeth twice <laughs> That's what I no. casey really has impeccable hygiene <laughs> uh he may be a hippie but he smells great oh thank you <laughs> um today this morning i went to the gym yeah, I came home and I thought, "Gosh, I'm hungry," so I got out an Elenos yogurt, mm-hmm. a company who we tried to get to sponsor us early on, yeah, and they, they said like, no, no, they barely even they barely even responded. <laughs> Fools, look at them now. No, 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 they're yeah. great. I love get that company. Nancy's on board. Nancy's is going to take off. Wow. So i i had a I had a passion fruit yogurt. Yeah. from Elenos, mm-hmm. wonderful. And I thought, you know what, this is missing a little something. I want to mix in some fresh fruit, as I often do. Okay. So I sliced up a kiwi. Yep. And I thought, oh God, I've got this half of half a pomegranate here. Oh. Now I'll take this moment to remind you. Actually, we didn't say this on the pomegranate episode. The word grenade. And yes. the word pomegranate come from the same root. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I think grenade comes from pomegranate. Right, okay. Right? Pomegranate is the root of grenade. Yes, yeah, yeah. Because much like a pomegranate, a grenade is full of little bits of shrapnel, uh-huh. and a pomegranate is full of little bits of shrapnel. Yeah, it just happens to be one's really delicious, the other one is is uh, pomegranate. Yeah, a machine yeah, of war. A machine of war, yeah. Casey. What happened? True to its namesake, <laughs> this pomegranate exploded i i i tried to pry it open just a little bit yeah to get some of those delicious because we opened it in the incorrect way yeah yeah and it absolutely burst open <laughs> and it was like a cartoon like trying to catch them all as they're flying ju- everywhere juice and seeds everywhere i have a white wall in my kitchen it was completely covered with splatters what? of pomegranate <laughs> it looks juice. like some pomegranate was murdered in there yes and it was <laughs> by my hand 
Alex, you're a monster. And and so I owe you an apology because what? I helicopter parented over you as you cut the pomegranate yesterday, <laughs> worried that it was going to make a mess. And then it came back to you and split everywhere. Yeah. Did you at least get something out of it? Did yes, you I got, salvage? I got plenty of seeds, okay. but I also spent about 20 minutes finding seeds around my kitchen. You're probably going to still find some more. Yeah, I'm sure. Casey, we're not talking about the pomegranate today, however. Nope, we're not. We are talking about a different tree, and the tree that we're talking about this week is a little bit of a, has a little bit of an identity crisis, if you ask me. I, I think it does. Funny enough, the last tree that we did, also, I... I pointed out, I find that it has an identity crisis as well. Yes. In terms of how it thinks about itself. This one. Certainly does. Uh, nomenclature wise. Yeah. The filbert the tree. Filbert. Or the hazel tree. Yep. Or the hazelnut tree. That's exactly right. Other people call it uh, the, I think the cob nut is the other, the other cob word for nut. it. nut. Yeah. What do you think? Uh, it grosses me out. It grosses me out. It's because it's actually it's the nut that comes off of a corn cob. Oh. Yeah, you let corn grow long enough, it becomes a hazelnut. And that's called alchemy, Alex. <laughs> I'm looking at Casey with a skeptic, because I don't know enough about science to know that he's bullshitting me. <laughs> oh, I love that. I can't wait to be a teacher. Watch everyone just be like, oh my gosh, she knows so much. She's, I, did you know this? And then mm. uh, at the end, you know, 10 years later, they'll be like, yeah, that guy, he lied to me for six years. Yeah, I failed every test in yeah. that guy's class. Yeah, man, but I, I I feel like I don't understand science at all. Yeah, Casey Clap, more like Casey Trap. Yeah, that's Don't right. take that class. Hey, it's the Clap Trap. All right, Casey, let's imagine it like every episode that you and I are walking through a hazelnut farm, oh, perhaps here in Oregon. Ex- well, that's a very good point. And we come across some hazelnuts because they're everywhere because yeah, it's a hazelnut farm. They're quite literally all over the place. And Casey, I would love for you to tell us all about the hazelnut. I would love nothing more. So this species of tree is called Corylus avalana. And what I love about that name is that it came from Linnaeus, the the guy who oh, essentially yeah. said, "Here's how we're going to order organize everything." He, yeah, you know, he had a really innate sense for doing that, and so he decided we're going to call everything by two scientific names. And when he was making them up, he made like you know he invented the system, so he gets credit for naming a bunch of trees and oh. plants and things, um, which makes sense. But it's kind of like you know he did it himself, so yeah, it's, it's like yeah, you see what I'm saying? It's like I invent this, and now I get credit for everything. Right, I invented the English language, so you can credit me for writing all of Shakespeare's. Yes, uh, yeah. Books and it's like, well, actually, books. no. I mean, someone else. Yeah, they're they're just they're small leaflets. I was trying to think what is, what is the book version of a like a discography or a. Uh, uh, that's uh, a good question. Um, can we just call it a discography catalog? Well, yeah, yeah, sure. A catalog. I think it's probably a catalog. Yeah. Well, either way, a library. That might be the term. Library. So it turns out that he uh, he named this tree, but he was looking around to see, well, what, what do people call it? Like, what, what name should I give it? Um, and he read some account from someone um, talking about this tree that's growing native down in, um, I think it was in Italy. And it was outside of this little town called Avella. You, you're, you're, you're asking for a moment, Alex. I Casey, see. <laughs> Casey I've, I had to Google it. 
Bibliography. Bibliography? Yes. That's what it's called? Or anthology. Isn't a bibliography what you write at the end of an essay when you have written, like, what books did you use to, like, you're you're citing your sources? Uh, Yes. So it's two things. Uh, Yeah. Well, this guy on Reddit, I don't know. Yeah, I can't trust Reddit. Uh, So that's, uh, the the Coriolis is the genus name, and it is what the, it's the classical Latin name for this little nut plant, Mm. um, conventionally called the hazel. And the hazel makes nuts. That's the fruit, so they call it the hazelnut. Right. And so he was like, well, which one is this? And he read some account of some guy that called this uh, the wild nut of Avella. So he called it Coriolis Avellana, hmm. which is the Coriolis from Avella. And I really like that because I think that's a fun name for, like, I want to just translate that exactly and say this. Uh, it's like, oh, what, what tree is that? It's like, oh, that's the wild nut of Avella. Right. I just think it's a fun name. This is interesting because the tree we recorded yesterday, our last week's tree, the pomegranate, yeah, was the what of uh, Carthage, the the apple of Carthage, Yes, right? the apple of Carthage. Yeah. yeah. So they call it the Punica granatum. Right. However, I guess that would be more like the, the, the seedy... The seedy Punica, which kind of makes you think like, oh, we should go to Punica, and that's where we can get you know all of our illicit things because it's very seedy. Oh, that's a great yeah, insult, by yeah, the way. Right? Yeah. Seedy Punica. Seedy Punica. How yeah. dare you, sir? How dare you? Well, this is not a seedy Punica. It's just one little nut, which I guess is technically a seed, but as a pair, or as opposed to several other things that we did, notably something like, I don't know, the almond, mm-hmm. this is a true nut. A nut as wow. true as one can be. So it has that hard shell, and then on the inside is the meat, which is the part that we actually eat, but it all kind of dries up and becomes this hard ex, uh, exo shell with the middle section, which is delicious. Okay, a true nut. It's a true nut. And uh, it grows in, uh, if we're walking through one of these orchards, um, there's two things that we'll kind of see. A, um, if you're walking here in Oregon, it's mm-hmm. going to be a single stem tree where it's planted in nice nice rows it grows up it grows out and it kind of has a a sort of like um almost an arcing cane like uh, uh growth to it where it grows up but it never quite grows up and just becomes one straight tree it usually has this single stem that they prune or that they uh attach to a stake or something so they make sure that it grows straight up then as it starts to grow outwards it just has these big long kind of sprouty like things that kind of arc over like a like a rainbow or something that kind of come from it. Yeah. And then they keep pruning that. So then the next year, it has more sprouts that come up from the top of that. And you get this kind of like almost arcing, sort of like an arc on top of an arc on top of an arc appearance of a little rounded tree. The bottom of the tree sort of it appears to like a, um, it's, it sort of looks like a uh, slingshot shape. Yes. Wait, you mean like, oh, like it comes up, splits into two, so mm-hmm. like the, this part of the slingshot you hold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think you're exactly right. It's like a short little stubby stem at yeah. the very bottom, at the thickest of the trunk mm-hmm. of the single stem that's going into the ground, and then yeah. pretty immediately splits off into almost like 45 degree angle yeah. limbs. It just wants to shoot out, and, yeah. and they prune it and keep it down because of course they're trying to make nuts out of it. Right. So if you find one in the uh, in these orchard kind of situations, they're going to be these small little upright rounded trees um, that are pruned to ensure that A, they're kind of stressed all the time, that way right. they produce a lot of seeds, and they think they're going to die. And then the other <laughs> thing is that they're pruned all the time to help keep them low so that if they want to come over there and pick them or shake the branches off or do something to get the nuts, that they there is, uh, it's not this gigantic, huge, unwieldy plant that they can just, you know, easily access. That's smart. Yeah, it's good. Uh, it's good. Uh, um, orchard culture. 
Orchard or, culture. Or, or, or chorticulture. Or chorticulture. I think it's orchorticulture. We're going to say silviculture. Let's go with that. Silviculture? Yeah, silviculture is the, it's more of a forestry term where it's the, the management, the growth, growing of trees. So mm. silva meaning tree, culture meaning the growth of, kind of like agriculture. Oh, okay. Um, so in this case, yeah, I, think oh, it, wow. uh, I think it makes sense. You just blew my mind a little bit. Culture means the growth of. Yeah, yeah. Like when you send stuff to a lab mm-hmm. and they get a culture, they're mm-hmm. growing it. Exactly. And of course, culture in society. Society. Casey, Alex, it, I, I love I love those etymological doors opening. Just these connections made. Yeah. A synapse in your brain all of a sudden finds another synapse. Is like, wait a second, I yeah. know you. Yeah, it's great. Let's fire together, bro. <laughs> well, that's it. So, uh, so that's what it's going to look like. Um, in the wild, though, the whole tree itself usually is a multi-stemmed shrub tree thing. Okay. And this is where the first of our many different, uh, you know, who are yous about this tree is really going to come in, is that it sprouts a lot from the base. And Mm. that's kind of the thing of these trees, is that they sprout from the base, and then they send up this big, long cane that kind of comes up and grows and is usually arced over. Like, it would start, like you're saying, about a 45-degree angle, kind of come up and just kind of chill. Just kind of arc down to the ground. Mm. And then it would send up another one and another one and another one. So you get this big like clumping mass of all these big like six inch stems that kind of come up arc down and then kind of lay over that's because they're not being groomed for that uh orchard life yeah for it, orchard culture yeah the, the orchard life baby yeah they get that <laughs> tattooed across their branches all the time hashtag orchard life it's yeah. so hard to say <laughs> tattoo orchard quarter or torticulture <laughs> Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's what they do. So their native habit, like the way that they want to grow, is is just super super chill. You know, it's like the more the merrier is what they think in terms mm. of stems. They don't grow very tall, up to maybe about thirty feet. So kind of similar to the pomegranate in that they don't shoot up and become these big single stem, you know, obvious trees. Yeah, they kind of take the hey, let's just push up as many little bits as we can, grow out in every direction, and capture as much light as we can. But let's get down to a a little more of the beauty of this whole thing, is that it has such classic leaves that I think of hazel. Wow. Now, uh, we're saying hazel. We've also said filbert. We've said hazelnut. Apparently, some people call it a cob nut. Um, This would be the classical term hazel. Okay. Where you would say, okay, what is a hazel? A hazel is a plant that has leaves that look like this. Huh. And they're kind of very circular, uh, ob- obovate is the term that one would use. Oh, wow. Where they're they're almost almost a perfect circle, maybe a little bit stretched out, a little bit longer than they are, are wide. Yeah. Um, but the big thing with uh, Corylus avalana, which is the more or less, let's call it the European hazelnut or the filbert, is that... It has this big circle that comes out that has these doubly serrated margins on the uh, on the side, so little serrations on each larger serration. Then at the very tip, it just goes wink and pops out like a like a, was it chimney rock? Do you remember that from the 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 Oregon Trail days? No. Well, well, you had to go across this over here and you go in Nebraska. There's chimney rock. When you see chimney rock, you know you're going the right direction. Oh, it's like a little little nipple. Yeah, exactly. It's uh, it's it's 
it's a, a landform. I think it's in, in western Nebraska, I'm pretty sure. Um, and it's essentially an old volcano, I believe, where it went up and then where that internal uh, column of, um, of magma was, like that's where it was this big wide chamber that became a really skinny chamber up the top of that mountain. The magma then all just kind of froze in place there. The whole rest of the mountain completely disintegrated and eroded away. So you're left with this really wide triangular cone-like base that then becomes a really skinny, tall column of a formation. You know what's really lame about Chimney Rock? What? Maybe I'm looking at Chimney Rock State Park. Uh, That's a different thing? I don't know. I think there's a lot of Chimney Rocks. All right. Know? Well, I'm looking at a Chimney Rock. They put a fucking American flag on the top. Ooh. Like a huge, like, 12-foot... I don't think that's the right one. Maybe All right. it is. I'm looking Either at the wrong way. one. Sorry. The the fact I don't even know if that geology is technically correct, but that's what it looks like. And I know that that's a thing that's happened in other geological formations. Um, it just happened to be something I was thinking about right now, so I wanted to you know, just say it. Great. Anyway, that's what the tip of this leaf looks like. <laughs> you can, if you look closely, right. Alex, you can see the American flag right on the very top of Hell it. Hell yeah. <laughs> this tree is fucking American, yeah. baby. And it's like, I'm not. I'm, I'm from Europe. I'm like, whatever. <laughs> Dude, so, not anymore. <laughs> so it turns out that this little uh, this little tree uh, has this really unique, uh, they call it an acuminate tip, where it basically becomes very, very sharp and pointy, but in a very, you know, ineffective way. Like, it's not going to hurt you at all. The leaf, you mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It just has this very, very skinny little uh, appendage right at the very tip. Can I say something about this leaf? You may. Uh, so... It's like uh, it's everything you described, but in between the veins of the leaf, yeah, there are like these little—I don't think this is the right word—but like striations. There's like these oh. little lines, kind of like connecting the veins of oh, the leaf. Oh, yeah, yeah, I see what you're it's talking like textured, about. Textured, sort of. They those are just like miniature veins going between those two. What? Things. Yeah. So the big veins that go out, uh-huh. you can call those, uh, let's just call them actual veins, or or, ca- or not, uh, veins or arteries, right? Right. They're the big main things that take stuff everywhere. Okay. And then they go back like a river to the main mid-vein that goes all the way down the um, to the petiole, which goes into the wow. vascular system of the tree. So all those little things that you see going through, those would be essentially the, the capillaries, or like the pre-capillaries, you know what I mean? Casey. Yeah. That's cool. There you go. I've never noticed this before. I didn't know that those veins had little mini veins. Yeah, they totally capillaries, do. as you call them. Exactly. Uh, and- so that's carrying like from that's carrying uh, what um, ener- energy or sugar or whatever uh-huh. from like the, the the parts of the leaf that are like in between the veins yeah. into the main stem exactly into the tree. Correct. What they do is they take the photosynthate. The, the sugars and all that, like you said, uh-huh. that the leaves create each individual cell, and it takes it from that cell into these littler veins, littler, bigger, 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 until it gets to the you know the river essentially. Interesting. Well, Casey, can we talk about the bark? Is there much to say? There is. There's a little bit to say. They have a lot of. They're they're really small. Their branch or their little canes don't get huge. The bark on the big trees that you'd see in an orchard, mm-hmm. they start to kind of split apart and they get a little flaky and they get really bumpy actually. They tend mm. to really kind of not be a nice uniform zoop, and come out. They usually have these weird bumps that start to develop, kind of like little burls maybe. Okay. 
Um, but if you just are looking at their bark, it will start to get a little flaky, a little shaggy as it gets really big. Mm. But generally, it'll actually have these little striations and these little individual lenticels just popping out all over it. So they kind of have a very um, gray textured looking feel with little lenticels all over it, all the way down, you know, until they start to get, you know, six, eight, ten inches. Once it gets to that size, they start kind of ripping apart. You get the more flakiness to it. Um, it's not very attractive in its flakiness, you know? Like, you're not going to be like, ooh, that's a gorgeous, like, shaggy mane on the side of that tree. It sounds like a, a, a practical utility bark. It is, yeah. Like, it does work, you it's, know? There's plenty of gas exchange going on. Plenty of gas exchange. It doesn't really give a shit about how it looks, but it's doing yeah, its job. Exactly. That's I think that's perfectly a perfect explanation. Well, the big thing about these, you know, it looks fine. It's cute. It's okay. Whatever. Bark yeah. this, bark that. It's the nut. Let's talk about the Let's nut. Let's talk about the, the flowers. Nut. How these trees really get themselves uh, get themselves procreated. Okay. So they are in the uh, the family of the birch trees, Betulaceae. And Betulaceae oh. is a family that is more or less characterized by the uh, male flowers being in long catkins. So the long catkins, a catkin is essentially a long um, pendulous spike that has individual flowers kind of encircling it, mostly right. in some kind of spirally arranged fashion. I love a catkin. Yeah, everyone loves a good catkin. And these catkins, they come out in the really like middle of wintertime or really, really, really early spring. Like, so early in spring that you can't really call it spring. It's still, like, the dead of winter. Mm. And you get these really long catkins that are chilling out there. Maybe they're, like, three, two, two, three inches long, just chilling. Then when they want to start flowering, all of a sudden they elongate to, like, twice their size. Wow. They get really long. All those male flowers open up and start letting their pollen out. And then you just have this, whoosh, like, kind of a tree that looks like it's covered in tassels everywhere is it a wind dependent tree it is okay. yes and it can self-pollinate but also it, it's better if something else pollinates it just because the genes are a little bit stronger sure and but the female flowers they have uh they appear right at the tip of the twig and they are they pop out from these little tiny buds and they look really funny because they the the blood the bud itself like stays closed and when the flower of the female flower blooms it just sends out these little stamens that just kind of come out and they're just huh. like Hook, hello and, and then just <laughs> pop out there it's really beautiful because they're like this bright 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 red oh yeah i see them yeah, wow exactly and i just think they're so good i'm sorry i said stamen i meant styles apologies god how dare I? I was so close to calling you out. I know. I saw you. You were you were <laughs> mouthing the word, and I was like, I made a horrible mistake. Yeah, it's all the same to me, baby. <laughs> Thanks, Alex. Uh, yeah, they they look like little troll troll doll yeah. uh, hairstyles totally, coming out yeah. of these buds. <laughs> I just think they're the funniest little things. I love them. So those little guys will end up becoming uh, the nuts that develop after this. Oh, okay. And the big thing about these nuts, kind of the quintessential hazel of the hazel nut. Um, and also, I should add, the reason we call it hazel is it like those leaves are what we say, oh, that's the hazel. And the, there's also the witch hazel. The leaves look really similar. Mm. The growth pattern, the fruit, everything about the tree is completely different, except the leaves look really, really similar. Okay. So, the nuts on these have what's called an involcure. In, oh, why do I always get this wrong? Alex, every- I love this so much. It just makes me so upset. In, invol- invol- Involucra. In, involucra. Spell it. Uh, I-N-V-O-L-U-C-R-E. 
I heard someone in a video say it, and she said it very well, and I was really jealous. Involucre? Involucre. Let's go involucre. Invo- oh, let's see what Google says. Yeah. Involucre. Involucre. Yeah. Yeah, so it's an involucre, which are floral bracts, uh, which again are just modified flower parts that grow around the nut, and they kind of cover it up like a sheath, and then as the nut gets bigger, they kind of open up. And then when the nuts mature, it turns brown. They are kind of this light, light, light lime green. And they kind of open up like um, almost like flowers. Or like you can see my hands. I'm like holding it up. Imagine you're holding a um, like a mango sideways between the palm of your hand. Uh-huh. And then your hands open up and they are just these, uh, instead of having normal fingers, they kind of look like flowers, like really frilly kind of like, ha-ha. Yeah, Casey sort of has his wrists together yeah. and then his fingertips touching on both hands and then just opens them up with the opens wrist as up. the hinge. Like clamshell. Yeah. Yeah, with a big nut right in the middle interesting and that is uh why we call our native one the beaked hazelnut those look like beaks around oh. it but in ours uh the native one here which is Coriolis cornuta californica variety californica they uh instead of kind of ending about where the nut ends they go all the way down and then close back up and then look like they create a beak those little interesting involucres involucres involucre so that is what this tree looks like. It's got these big buds, these long zigzaggy looking stems. They usually are multi-stemmed, but they sometimes are multi-stemmed into trees that are high. They're sometimes multi-stemmed big shrubs that are 25, 30 feet tall. And you're like, well, which is it, Alex? And Casey, this shrub tree identity confusion is the topic of today's episode. Mm. And we're going to hear much more about it after the break. We'll be right back with more Completely Arbitrary. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Welcome back to Completely Arbitrary. Alex. I, I really, my one of my favorite things has become uh, either coming into the episode or coming back from break and yelling really loud and watching you cringe. <laughs> it's because... Uh, it's like I don't. I never expect it. Uh, welcome back to Completely Arbitrary. Today we're talking the hazelnut, filbert, what have you? Mm-hmm. The hazel. The yes. Uh, Casey, Alex, this thing yeah. can't decide what it is. I cannot decide what it is, and neither can we. No, we can't. But the- for the purposes of this show, yeah, we are saying today that this is a tree. Yes. 
Exactly. And the reason I wanted to actually do a completely different nut in or hazelnut entirely. Wow. I wanted to do the native one because I love it. I think it's gorgeous. But I could not in good conscience do it on a podcast called Completely Arbortrary. Wow. I could only do that on Completely Shrubberary. Uh-huh. <laughs> And I, we just don't, we haven't, we haven't had the time to make that happen. Well, yes. So I wanted to do that, but I was like, okay, come on. Does this count? And I did some research and it's like, it, it barely even meets a standard definition of a tree, right. if at all. And then, so I was like, okay, well, we should do this one. I know it's a tree. I've seen it as a tree. Then I looked it up and I was like, well, actually it kind of doesn't grow like a tree anyway. Wow. To which we decided to say, let's not talk about this now, Casey, said Alex. Alex said, we should talk about this on our podcast <laughs> and we should have the discussion of what exactly is a tree what exactly is not a tree and why does it matter does it matter should it matter who matters this was my idea i think so yeah oh, cool. it was i think we it was our idea you know and any of no, your ideas idea. is, yeah exactly yeah thanks yeah, no yeah. hold on were you about to say my ideas or your ideas <laughs> i don't know i certainly was about to say that let's move on <laughs> All of Alex's ideas are my ideas. That You signed that contract when we got into this. I trademark everything I say. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, under my name. <laughs> anyway, Alex and I are independent thinkers. And so we were together thinking, okay, what is this? And we did a podcast, a Patreon episode, yeah. where we talked about what is a tree. Right. And we had this discussion. So we're going to dive into that a little bit here, Where, if, whereas if you want to really get that, I think we also released what is a tree um, as a bonus episode recently. That's right, yeah. We have a whole what is series on our Patreon, patreon.com slash arbitrarypod. We're going to have lots more of those too, because every now and then I think of another one and I'm like, what is that? Yeah. Let's talk about it. They're basically episode long definitions. Yeah, what is a nut? Yeah, we have yeah. that. Yeah, we do. So in this case, though, um, what is a tree in the sense of how can we describe it? So there's a couple different things. Um, I've used a definition consistently from one of my favorite books. It's called The Tree by Colin Tudge. Right. And that in that book, he also addresses this question a little bit. He says, well, what is it? What am I exactly covering in the book called The Tree? And he says, well, the best way to think about it is – it's a it's a bush with a stick up the middle. That's what he kind of uses, right. which I think is a fun term. That is a little fun. That's a little winky. It's a little winky, but that's okay. I think he's British, and I like when British oh. do winky things. Sure, you know? that's all they can do. That's all they can do. That's their that's their national trade. Yeah. However, another great definition by another one of our uh, our favorites is David Allen Sibley. Yeah. David Allen Sibley says, "If you can walk under it, it's a tree. <laughs> if you have to walk around it." It's a shrub. David. Yeah, which is a very functional definition, don't you think? I think so, but what about a tree like a like a short Japanese maple that's like manicured to go to the ground? You know, yeah. I guess you could walk under it if you crawl underneath the foliage. Yes, which I don't think would follow that definition because he said walk underneath. Not crawl. Exactly. So, so that's in, a bush to him. That would be a bush. Or a, or a large shrub. Yeah. yeah. So I think um, so. The, that's like a couple definitions that are very working definitions. Um, however... In the city of Portland here, we have a um, we have a, a city code that regulates trees. So thus, in order to, to put this into a legal framework, someone had to ask the question, okay, what is a tree? Right. If, if we're going to regulate it, then we have to define it. So now it's defined in the city of Portland as a generally single-stemmed plant that matures over 16 feet tall. Okay, over 16 feet. Yes. Where did that number come from? My bet is, generally speaking, people are going to say, yeah, it only gets like 15 feet tall. 
And so if you make it 16 feet tall, then that's going to be something that is innately just a little bit larger. So it's like just not a round number? <laughs> I think so, yeah, because pe- I, I don't know this for sure. Complete conjecture. Okay, that's fine. That's my, that's my guess. That's great. Yeah. And so that's, that's kind of what I think. And so generally, when you are when you see a, a a tree or a shrub that is that is by the way that is the definition of arbitrary yeah oh it completely that is yeah 16 yeah. foot rule so if anyone ever asks when when this goes on urban dictionary arbitrary it's yeah it's that it's yeah. when arbitrary is deciding what is and it is not a tree yeah. what we're talking about is our fundamental uh philosophical basis of our entire podcast yes. right now both in terms of the definition uh as well as identity it's a literal metaphor it's metaphorically speaking that's true mm-hmm. so in that sense you have this like spectrum let's think on 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 that kind of level okay. you see a tree you're like that is a tree a douglas fir single stem it's 80 feet tall it's 40 feet wide but there's no branches below 25 feet mm. this is a big thing right and it's also huge. Like that—that's another defining characteristic, right? Um, also, you know, let's just say they're woody. We don't need to get into all these other small little definitions of what is woody. We'll, yeah. we'll skip all that. Thank you. So it's just a a woody thing that puts on a new ring of wood every single year. It grows up, and then that's a tree, right? Mm-hmm. It's big. It's got a, a stem that comes up, and it's clearly large and massive. You can, if you will, walk under it. Meanwhile, on the other end of that spectrum is like a rhododendron where it stays really small. It grows up and then starts growing out immediately. And then as it also continually gets larger, it grows continually out rather than going up and then losing the things that grow out underneath that. Mm. So you start getting this big spherical thing that is more or less um, touching the ground at any point. So that still woody, you have to walk around it though. You cannot walk under it. Maybe you can if it's really big and you can kind of like dip under one branch and kind of stand up underneath this like arcing globe-like structure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's maybe. kind of yeah. However, that <clears> would be you you we can say as we're walking as, as you see these things, if we're just walking down the street, you can say that's a shrub, that's a tree. Everyone does it. It's yeah. kind of an innate thing that we order life in this kind of way. Mhm. So the issues come when you start to follow that spectrum, one to the right and one to the left, and you slowly but surely find your way to the middle and you say, well, what what about all those things that are like kind of a little bit of both instead of just one stem, they start having two, three, four, six, eight, ten. Instead of being really low to the ground, you have multiple stems that are coming up, but you can still walk underneath it like a little Japanese maple. Yeah. You know, you would think that maybe the... Um, the giant or the Japanese tree lilac, you can make that into a single stem, but it doesn't get very tall. Maybe it'll reach that 16-foot Portland, Oregon definition. Maybe not. You know what's curious about all of this is that it is it is sort of like a casual distinction. Yeah. And it's not very scientific, and I say that because they're all made of the same stuff. They right? are, yeah. It's, it's just a different, uh, I guess, if you... Um, this is actually something we're going to talk about in more depth in a couple uh, couple episodes. Well, it's going to be a, a while away. Mm-hmm. Um, but the idea of it being a strategy, not a uh, a distinctive category, yeah. where you have a tree and a shrub, you have something that grows. The basic blocks and the basic um, means of how it grows exactly the same. You know, wood that comes every once a year, grows mm-hmm. up, it grows out, has buds, all these things. But the strategy is 
I am going to stay really low and grow out and wide. I am going, in contrast, I am going to grow really tall and put all my energy into that one perfect stem. Right. So it's a tree in definitions of, you know, what is a tree? You can't say what is a tree. You can say uh, more how is a tree? And then you'd say, well, a tree as a strategy grows like this, mm. a very tall single stem thing that you can walk underneath. And you say, well, how is a shrub? A shrub is a strategy uh, that you grow out low. You have multiple stems. If one stem breaks off, who cares? I have 30 more over here that are going to be just fine. Interesting. It's like putting all your branches in one basket. And so those strategies, just it just comes down to where that tree grows? Yeah, it comes down to that. It comes down to maybe the genes, you know, what uh, what niche did it fill? What are the limiting factors of this area? Yeah. You know, we would also call the pinyon pine and the juniper a tree, but maybe those can get to 20 feet. You know, some things that are really tall growing shrubs that have a single stem, but look like almost bonsai trees. They just stay really small. Hmm. That could be a limiting factor of the resources. There's not enough water. They're growing in essentially, you know, a pile of rocks. There's really nothing they can get. Let me ask you this. Yeah. I know that you can grow a, you can, you can shape and manicure a shrub to be a tree. Yeah. Can you shape and manicure a true tree? Should we say true trees? Mm, yeah, okay. Like a Douglas fir, I would never even attempt to call a shrub. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, under any circumstance, I don't think. I think that's fair. Uh, could you shape and manicure a Douglas fir to grow like a shrub? Yes, you can. It, it, like you can grow them as a hedge, for instance. And oh. people have done that. Um, the European beech, the hornbeam, classic hedge trees. Oh, yeah, sure. But And I'm speaking of like the classical classic hedge trees where they are, you know, those boxes around a square garden that yeah, you've, yeah, you've yeah. hedged into this topiary-like thing. Kind of a posh hedge tree. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. Thank you for the term. So, yeah, that would be a perfect example. That is a, that's a, a, a tree or a thing that would grow as a tree if left to grow. Like if you stopped trimming that perfectly gigantic square hedge. Yeah. All those branches would start growing out and try to become a tree. That would be their ultimate goal. You I have see. to continually keep them down to make them do that. But with our uh, with our Coriolis, with our little hazelnut, it's very possible that you would, if you left them and you did not keep on trying to make it into a tree, it would send up new sprouts from mm-hmm. the base and it would start to turn itself into this multi-stemmed upside down spider of a tree yeah. and or of shrub. I don't even know what term to use anymore, Alex. Mm. I'm so flustered. Trub. That's a trub. So that that becomes a, uh, a another distinction. So if you leave a tree or shrub that you've trained as a tree, it will probably try to revert itself back into being what we would call a shrub. Interesting. If you leave a shrub that is normally a tree and leave it alone, it will probably revert itself back to trying to become a tree. So it's in, it's in the DNA. It's in the DNA. It's innate to how these trees grow or how these plants grow. I'm going to say that as broadly as I can, plants. Yeah, that's a good broad term. Yeah. Now, in the, uh, in the sense of it being a strategy, you can say that in, in the DNA – this is designed or is, is its trajectory, its strategy that's built into its DNA is to grow up and grow as big as possible. Mm-hmm. 
So that makes it a strategy, and if you take into consideration, here's a little bit of here's a little bit of some uh, what's the word I'm looking for uh, foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the certain species of let's say in the Catalpa family, Bignoniaceae, most of them are big woody vines called lianas in the tropics. A few of them ended up finding their way up into North America or into China, and they. All of a sudden, instead of needing a tree to grow, they decided they're going to hold themselves up. They took a strategy of instead of doing, I'm going to only climb up an existing tree, their strategy is I'm going to just grow in the open and start to do it myself. Kind of like a political strategy. Exactly. Yeah. It's an outsider, right? You know, yeah. it's not climbing its way up through the system. Interesting. So then all of a sudden, if you think about it in that regard and you go way back to, uh, the very distant evolutionary past where these were maybe not quite the same species, but they were on their way. You saw one that could like hold itself up and create its own structure. The other one insisted on staying in the forest and becoming its own, uh, its own or using something else as its structure. Hmm. Then you can say, well, one just chose a strategy over time or rather adapted a certain strategy based on changing conditions where for whatever reason this one held itself up and chose the strategy of tree this one chose a strategy of vine and so now if you try to use the definition as a category use a tree as a category and a shrub as a category it's it's not at all it's more the the definition like your brain has to like say wait wait a category of a tree is very obvious there's trees they grow up yeah but if you're gonna like go way back and say well maybe if we redefine that as a strategy it's a completely different thing it's a, a tree is not a category it's more of just a means of getting whatever it is that you want interesting a a tree is a game plan yes a tree a tree is a game plan it's not it's not the game itself wow casey oh god somebody write that down quick oh my god (laughs) my trademark lawyer my computer just broke i've been hacked Casey. Alex, that is this. Thanks for like, we had to, we were going down this dark, dark path of, uh, of philosophical descriptions and discussions. Thanks yeah. for bringing us back. Oh, my pleasure. So I, yeah. Anyway, I'm curious of the thoughts of everyone, you know, uh, on this. I really want to make this a, like a really th- in thorough discussion sometime. I don't know sure. how I'm going to do that. We, we have, speaking of different strategies, I love that you see it as like a discussion and I see it as like, just another way for like nature nerds to be pedantic. <laughs> yeah, it's it really is. Yeah, that's that's honestly the how it, that's the the long and the short of it. I love our listeners. We just have different interests. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, I love you guys. Our interests are the same. <laughs> yeah, that's why everybody you're everybody's favorite. That's just that. Can't and I'm be the true. barnacle on the side of the ship. <laughs> yeah, but everyone loves to hear the barnacle sing songs. Mm. Yeah. Oh, there's that uh, that ship with the barnacle that sings songs. I love that ship. Hold on, everyone be quiet. Sounds like a good myth. Look at it now. <laughs> Coolest barnacle there is. This barnacle sings crappy parody songs. <laughs> Casey. We all have our niche. <laughs> it's a str- it's a it's a strategy, okay? <laughs> oh, Alex. Yes, it is. <laughs> uh, Casey, let's get into our review of the Filbert. We're going to give some final thoughts on this tree <laughs> and then give it a oh, rating God. of zero to 10 golden poems of honor for this season of completely arbitrary plant-based diet. Yep. 
Casey, as our resident expert, we'll begin with you. Okay, so along with the, the the name of it that I just noted, apparently the Germans also think it might mean full beard, Volbert, which I think is fun. <laughs> That's cool. And I'm saying this because you know me, I'm a fan of beards. Yes, you are. And uh, the fact that this could be called the bearded filbert mm-hmm. uh i think is a really fun name because you know i just think that's a that's a, when you think of a name of something and it's a little more interesting like oh it's the european pine or something like that yeah it's like okay it's kind of interesting it's kind of not interesting yeah and especially if you take it somewhere else and you say oh well that's the american pine or the australian pine it's not any of those things right I think that if you just call something what it looks like, yes. and that's what they were probably called by multiple people before, I think that's a little bit more fun. So I like thinking that this is the full beard. Love it. Yeah, so the full beard nut. Full beard nut. Yeah. I I think that this, as a tree, is a just okay tree. I ha- I want to I wanna make sure that I do not throw pomegranate under the bus. Sure. Give it a 5.5 because it's not really a tree. Yeah. So, this, the Filbert, gets a 5.6 because it's not just a tree. However, I love finding and eating uh, Filberts all the time. They're delicious. Mm -hmm. You can eat them right off the tree, or you can roast them. You can put them in confections and all these things. Yeah. I think that's just uh, that's a that's a great thing. I like nuts. I like nut trees. I like true nuts on nut trees. I also appreciate very much their their dedication to their way. You know, mm-hmm. every time someone tries to turn them into a tree, they just constantly try not to be a tree. Which is, you know, how someone's like is is trying to make you famous. Like you're know, like, no, you got to be famous. You did all this. You're in this movie. You famous. Come on, you can be a tree. They're like, no. I'm not a tree. I'm true to my identity. I'm going to be a multi-stemmed, not very tall, somewhat tall, arcing cane-like shrub tree thing, a subarborium. Yes. I'm going to get back to my first love, theater. Exactly. <laughs> it goes and becomes, you know, a uh, who's afraid of Virginia Woolf yeah. at, your, instead at of, your local community college. <laughs> instead of being in the new X-Men movie. Exactly. <laughs> and that, I think, is quite admirable. Just as the pomegranate was a spectacular tree and created a bunch of things about it, I love the full beard, and I think the full beard should get a an 8.8. So an 8.8 for its passion uh-huh. and its sticking to what it is. And for being called a full beer with a 5.5 is going to put it somewhere in the 6.2 category. 6.2. That's what I'm going to say. 6.2 for the full beard. All right. 6.2 golden poems of honor from mm-hmm. dendrologist Casey Clapp for the full beard filbert. That's right. All right. What do you got, Alex? What do you think? Have you had a walnut, I'm sorry, a hazelnut recently? Uh, Yeah. Pretty okay. recently, okay. I love I love hazelnut flavor, mm. uh, oh, like the uh, the coffee things. Or sure, or I mean like, like yeah, across the board, across the board. Okay, uh, anything hazelnut flavored or like you know, there's like hazelnut flour confections, you really? know, like all that sort of stuff. I love I love the flavor of hazelnuts. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I I don't feel super passionate about this tree slash shrub ah, as a tree shrub. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I think the I think it's kind of just okay. I'm I'm sort of in your you know, and I, I, it's a huge industry as I as I understand. Hey, did you know that Oregon produces approximately? Let's round up because it's a rounding error. Yeah, one hundred percent of the uh, <laughs> the entire United States crop. That's incredible. Yeah, we're like we produce a lot, and it's something like I think it's like in '98 or something. It was like forty thousand tons of shelled walnuts. That's pretty cool. In shell, I think actually, I apologize. If we, you know, if I would have a little bit of Oregon pride, if I weren't, if I weren't so staunchly against like 
having pride in in the place you're from. Oh, well, all right. I'll stop putting hashtag PDX on everything. <laughs> uh, I I don't know. I don't feel great about the, the hazelnut. I don't feel bad about it. Uh, okay. I'm just sort of up the middle and shit up the middle 5.0. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Up the middle 5.0. Yeah. I feel like that needs to be something you put on the back of your car. You know, up the middle 5.0. Yeah, up the middle 5.0. Kind of like you know, if you come closer, you can see me flipping you off. Yeah, oh, I don't know, one of those like weird bumper stickers, but okay. this one's going to be extremely idiosyncratic. That was our review of the Filbert tree, Casey. We chose this tree to talk about specifically because just around the corner from my apartment complex, mm-hmm. there is a little butcher shop called Tails and Trotters. Yep. Now traditionally pork is fattened with acorns acorns nuts fall nuts yes yeah which is a super famous thing uh people used to go down when we, uh, the chestnut they would they would take their pigs down and eat the chestnuts yes um, they had fallen and then they would also go out and find uh, truffles probably at the same time that's right why not multitasking with, yeah. the, with them pigs yeah acorns that kind of thing yeah so here in oregon this uh, this pork butcher came along and thought, heck, we have so many hazelnuts. Let's fatten our pigs with hazelnuts. So this is a butcher mm-hmm. shop selling hazelnut finished pork. Yes, which I, I've heard about. Um, one of my good friends worked there for a very long time. And this was years ago now. And so I've, I remember it being like, wow, because he worked there and he would tell all about how cool it was and mm-hmm. he learned to be a butcher, which is something I want to say, even if you're not a fan of meat, at least if you have a small town local butcher shop, they care about their animals. They're raised just down the road. That's right. And on top of that, it is a local art that is not, it's just no longer really paid attention to. Everyone just goes and says, oh, I'm just going to go buy this, you know, already slab cut meat that you found somewhere at the store. Mm-hmm. Rather than going to a, hey, I need a very specific thing for a very specific reason. They're like, okay, let me go get this. I know exactly the right cut. We know this animal backwards and forwards. Yes. Going to a butcher shop is going to be like 100% of the time better for everybody yeah. than going to the meat section of Fred Meyer. There's like a factory farm that had all the animals they weren't taken care of. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, they were killed I, by yeah. a bunch of machines. Yeah, exactly. I much prefer this uh this mentality of a small of a small place like this, which I've you know we've patronized several times. That's because, right. Hey, the the meat tastes really good. It does, Casey. And we spoke to Aaron Silverman from Tales and Trotters and he sent us not only a recipe, but some information about this recipe and how uh, how they kind of got started feeding filberts to uh, these pigs. So he sent me some text, and I'm going to read this text, and we'll talk about it as we go, Case. Excellent. Uh, so he sent us a a recipe for I'm I I, I think I'm going to say carnivale. Pork wow. carnivale. I like that. Here's what Aaron had to say about this recipe. The carnivale recipe is a family favorite. It's basically a brined candied brisket. Yum. Mm-hmm. I am personally attracted to recipes that appear complicated, but are actually fairly simple and put the ingredients front and center as opposed to cooking technique. This recipe, which in its original form called for a bone-in pork breast, also helped influence the style of butchery we employ at Tails and Trotters. Although this recipe can be made with standard pork picnic roast, the leaner and more integral structure of a pork picnic doesn't give the dish the same richness. After making it a couple of times and being underwhelmed by the results, it occurred to me that the, quote, breast cut, 
corresponds to a brisket, oh. a relatively unknown portion of the shoulder that is generally used as trim in standard American butchery. But tails and trotters pigs are significantly larger and fattier, yum, being raised for prosciutto production, Case. That's right. And fattened on hazelnuts for their last five to ten weeks. Mm-hmm. We tend to seam butcher our pigs, separating individual muscles instead of simply cutting along an arbitrary hey, geometrical line across multiple muscles. Now, see, right there, Alex, I think is important because I know maybe some people are not going to be meat fans that are listening to this. Of so, course. Yes, we, we take that very much into consideration. Um, but as, a, as an ideology, of, as, a, as a human species, we mm-hmm. have you know, eaten all sorts of things. You know, a life eats life. One thing that I like about this is that it seems that if you are cutting things and you're taking the time to really um, take care of the animals and then um, not just arbitrarily just, you know, butcher them into into the, the new meat things or whatever we're going to be eating. Yeah. I I just feel like that you're giving the you're giving a lot more respect by really you know, like saying, Okay, I, I know what I'm doing. I'm I'm taking this life and then I'm going to use it to feed people. It makes sense to me that they would they would say we're going to take the care and the time to cut it and butcher it in a very specific way. Yes, it doesn't just you know oh this is just trim and just kind of throw it off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not to mention that is what what Aaron here calls uh, seam butchering inherently less waste less wasteful. Exactly. Yeah, uh, because it's more precise. Yeah. Uh, by seam butchering our pigs, says Aaron, we are able to provide some unique cuts to our customers not typically seen in supermarket meat counters, including the brisket. Like a beef brisket, but much smaller, and it says three pounds versus 15 pounds. Wow. So yeah. pork brisket is three pounds. Have you, have you ever heard of a pork biscuit? Br- uh, biscuit. <laughs> Sounds delicious. <laughs> yeah. A pork brisket? Uh, no, I haven't. I haven't either. Pork briskets are composed of long strands of muscle with plenty of internal and external fat. Fat is flavor, as the saying goes, and mm-hmm. fat is, in fact, the main reason we finish our pigs with hazelnuts. Ah. The main goal with Tails and Trotters program is prosciutto, which takes 16 to 24 months to produce. Wow. Fattening the pigs on nuts shifts the fat chemistry towards unsaturated fats, which are much more stable than saturated fats found in grains, increasing the stability of fat and preventing it from going rancid during the lengthy curing and aging period prosciutto requires. Oh, my God. That's so smart. That is so fascinating. And then, like, this has been a a time-tested thing that people have done with their animals, you know, for centuries, thousands and thousands of years. Take them out of the forest. They'll eat a bunch of acorns. They'll beat eat a bunch of chestnuts and yeah. nuts of all different sorts and kinds. And then that has an, an effect on the actual finished product that you get way down the line. That to me seems like it's like smart and it uses like whatever you happen to have at available, save the wheat to make your bread, which yeah. is good for you. And then use these other things that we don't eat very much, you know, a, Horse chestnut. I don't know if they eat horse chestnuts, mm. but there's plenty of other nuts uh, that we humans didn't eat. But you know, they were there. There, acorns are the perfect example. Yeah, we're given to the pigs. We don't eat them, and if we did eat them, and if we still do eat them, it takes a whole bunch of leaching, a big process to actually do that. Right. But we eat the pigs. Yeah, exactly. So How there's no waste. In 2004, says Aaron, I was sent to Italy as a delegate to Slow Food International's first agriculture producers conference. The conference was held in conjunction with their biannual food expo, the Salon del Gusto. 
with my all-access delegate pass, I spent most of my time at the expo where I discovered an entire section devoted to, quote, regional prosciutto. Wow. Inspired, I returned to my produce and poultry farm outside Eugene and set out to develop a prosciutto program. God, I would love to develop a prosciutto program. <laughs> Your mouth is watering again. It really is. And did uh, before you keep going, this uh-huh. uh, the Slow Food or- uh, International, I've heard of them. I've heard of this uh, this organization. Have you? Yeah, or at least also the idea of slow food as in contrast to fast food. Oh. Yeah, where it's basically saying stop forcing things to go down this, in, this crazy pipeline yeah. and make things faster and faster and faster and more efficient, I say in quotes. Right. Um, and essentially, um, their thing, and this is I just quickly looked uh, looked them up. It's an organization that promotes local and traditional cooking, which is instead of just taking everything, raising it as quickly as and as big as you can, and then taking it to the factory, turning it in, and then all of a sudden you just have and then now you have hamburger that comes out. Right. Know? This is much more of a uh, dedicated um, organization that's saying, no, 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 let's look back at our food and, and like I was saying, essentially honor it and do it slowly. It's just like buying food from a seasonal farm or seasonal market Yes, where you're buying it because that's that's what's right at the time. That's right. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, that's that's a great that's a great uh, interjection. Case. And he was a delegate to that. That's yeah. so cool. He says, however, this is after he got back from uh, Italy to start the to, sorry to develop a prosciutto program. Yeah. However, the live oaks of Western Oregon do not reliably produce acorns every year. That's true, and I, I, those are the uh, the American because uh, he's outside Eugene, so yeah. it's the not American, the uh, Oregon white oak. That's Quercus right, Gariana. And we talked about that in our Oregon white oak episode about mast years. We Casey. sure did. Uh, Oregon, however, produces 95% of the country's hazelnuts. Rounding air, 100%. Or, <laughs> or Philbert says they're called in Oregon. So we source our nuts from George Packing, a regional packer in Newburgh, Oregon. They sort nuts from their own orchards as well as those in the region and provide us 60 to 80 tons per year Jeez. with a mix of whole nuts, kernels, and shells product that doesn't make the grade for human consumption and which they use to struggle to export to China. We add the nuts to our pigs' feed in their final six to eight weeks, boosting the fat level of their feed and lowering protein. The result is a pig that is older, larger, tastier, with more fat that is stable and ideally suited for curing into prosciutto. Wow. Very smart. Tails and Trotters makes over 150 products from its hazelnut finished pigs available through its flagship retail shop on, uh, uh, I don't, I don't want to give their address because I live right next door. Um, <laughs> in Portland, you can look it up and you can yeah, find yeah, yeah. Uh, Tails and Trotters Butchery and Salumi. Is that how you say that? Salumi? I'm not sure. It's like a s- salamieri, you know? Ah, salamieri. It would be the French way. Sal- salamaragerie. Yes. <laughs> Let's can, go salamaragerie. Salamaragerie can be found on restaurant menus and retailers throughout the, throughout the Northwest and, and nationwide. Um, Casey. Alex. I got to say, I know we, we probably, just by the nature of our podcast, have a lot of vegetarian and vegan listeners. That's very likely. And God bless you if you listen to all of that. Even as a meat eater, reading about 
animals being primed for food is yeah. sad. It is. And it kind of makes me like, oh, we should cut that out. But it's like, no, we, we shouldn't. I, no, I don't think I think we it's should. extreme. I know. Oh, of course we're not. Yes, of course. I, I don't think you were, I don't think you were suggesting oh, yeah. that. Yeah. I just, I think it's, it's extremely important to, to note it and realize it yeah. and, um, lose the veil that's on it. Because if there's anything that will make a, the world better, and let's just take climate change, for example. Everyone's like, stop eating meat. That's the first thing. We're wasting so many resources and water and things on growing cows rather than using that land to create anything else that we'd feed for humans. Yeah. One acre of land would feed like several different people and use a smaller amount of water by like a significant extent mm-hmm. than one acre of land supporting one cow or something like that. Yeah. But I also think it's important to realize that if you do take the time to actually lift that veil and say, yes, what you're doing is you're taking a life of a you know sentient being, mm-hmm. you should honor that. And yeah. instead of eating them, you know, just like, oh, let's just go get like 700 pounds of bacon as the cheapest as possible. You know that um, I think one of my professors years ago, we were talking about a, a local just store that just sells things really cheaply. And he's like, yeah, I don't actually get my meat from there because there's either it's so cheap that either I'm getting screwed or the animal got screwed. Yeah. One of the two. In yeah, either man. way, I don't want to support either of it. Yes. I, 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 I think, I think I wanted to say that like, even if you are a vegan or a vegetarian on, on moral ground, which I think yeah. is totally fair. Sure. You have to admire the lengths that small farmers and butcher shops and, you know, uh, meat producers take, to make these pigs comfortable in their mm-hmm. lifetime, yeah, uh, and to give a product to people that won't give you cancer after eating it for fifteen years straight, totally. Uh, so, thank you, Aaron, so much uh, for all that interesting information. Yeah, check out Tails and Trotters. There's one in Portland, and uh, yeah. get a sandwich. Go get yourself a sandwich. Yeah, well, I agree, and I just think that's that makes my day because yeah, I, I think they're if if you do it right and you can support these kinds of things because you're the all the almighty dollar, it'll make it happen. Yeah, spend a little bit more, eat a little bit less, or spend a little bit more and eat a little bit less meat. At the end of the day, that'll come out as a wash. Mm-hmm. Put your put your your main goals into eating vegetables they're delicious especially if you get them grown locally and seasonally yeah anyway if i if we if you can't afford it even a little bit supporting that business once a month once a week something like that or a business that focuses their morals in the right place yeah in my opinion that will help those things be sustained and then if we can slowly shift the market just ever so slightly we very well might be able to change the world without significantly altering our way of life. You know, it's just a time-honored, slow process of paying for things and giving that support out. Very well said, Casey. Mm -hmm. And it's delicious. (laughs) It sure is. Casey, it's time for our completely arbitrary Q&A. Hey, what do we got today? This week's question is from Carrie Pill. Hello, Carrie. Hi, Carrie. Hi, Casey and Alex. This is Carrie. I grew up in northern New York and now live in central Vermont, uh-huh. where people love to plant blue spruce in their yards. Oh, do they? I am curious and wondered if you wouldn't mind explaining why these trees do not naturalize in these areas. Mm-hmm. You're first going to have to explain naturalizing to me, Casey. Ah, easy. Also, thank you so much for the black spruce episode. I'm preparing to lead an adventuring 
painting hike at a nearby Green Mountain Peak, and your podcast has a great resource for info to Whoa. share with my students. Yes. Oh my gosh. What can you? What was that? That hike again? What, what was that description? Uh, it was a, a painting hike, an adventuring painting hike. Uh huh. I love that. I this, feel like <laughs> that means you have like a knife and some paintbrushes like attached to your belt, yeah. just in case, like a tool belt. Yeah. Oh, quick, get out of the way! I got to paint that sculpture. <laughs> Give me a. Uh, Give me pristine white number 15. Yeah, everyone's like in a really uh, a tussle trying to make sure they get it before the pristine white goes away. Titanium white is what I think I meant to say. That's Bob Ross classic. Oh, yeah, it uh, is. This, yeah. this email was, however, sent to us in July. So I, I think that that hike probably <laughs> came and went. Yeah, honestly, I would rather go on a hike there in the in July than I would in uh, in February. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much, Carrie, for your question. Casey. Okay. Explain. All right. So first off, your 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 number one question to give a little background. Naturalizing would be the essential, uh, essentially, the way that something becomes invasive or naturalizes itself. Okay. Um, and it's the same way as saying it in the like a migratory kind of way. If you're a naturalized citizen, you're a citizen who came from somewhere else and then got citizenship in a different country, and now you are a citizen of that country as well. Okay. So in a plant version, you are a plant that is exotic to that location. Whether you're from in this case Colorado being planted in the northeast or you are the tree of heaven you're initially from China and now you've been planted in Los Angeles and now you're growing there so the biggest difference the thing that um that is that process is that tree seeding itself in and becoming a viable population in this new place so it's naturalized itself I growing see. there got it so you don't need to have humans in order to sustain its life okay so let's say all humans disappear and we just let all the trees that are now growing everywhere mm-hmm. just take you know two or three four thousand years and then we can basically go back then all of a sudden poof humans are back again and we take take notes say okay all of the species of this tree have completely died out. They're no longer here at all. Their native area, they're still cooking like no one's business. It's great. But over here in Oregon, say, maybe we would get um, a population of northern red oaks would start growing, population of uh, Norway maple. Those would have naturalized from those other places here. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes. So in the sense of what that question was is uh, the blue, the Colorado blue spruce um, grows over there. And this was in uh, New Hampshire, Vermont. Uh, Vermont, Vermont, central Vermont. Yeah. So those are um, trees that are initially from the Rocky Mountains. So they grow up in a very high elevation. That high elevation is also very dry most of the time. Yeah. Not a whole lot of water, comparatively speaking. And so in the Rocky Mountains and in the mountains near the Rocky Mountains, this is where this um, population of trees is native. And if you plant them elsewhere, then they can put out pollen, they can produce cones, they can do anything, but their seeds generally will not grow. And a lot of times, the reason for that is super nuanced, and it's hard to decipher necessarily why. Sometimes a tree will just grow perfectly fine anywhere, but what you want to match up is the essential things that are temperature, rainfall, humidity, Hmm. soil conditions. Those are like the the four big ones that you really have to have. So a tree is not going to grow very well if you'd have, um, if you plant it in a really dry area, it's from a really wet area and you just water it. 
if one of those seeds uh, falls, it's going to land, it's going to be too dry, and it's not going to do very well. Makes sense. Um, other times, it would just be that maybe the seeds are infertile because there's not another tree around to actually pollinate it. So all the seeds that come out or all the fruit that comes out don't have any viable seeds in it. So are you like saying that. you can't like fake the conditions for a tree exactly. to live in a place or to naturalize? Yeah. And so in the Northeast, I'm not quite sure what the biggest difference is, the um, why they wouldn't grow there. Because like also Douglas fir is planted in Northeast really often. So my thought is that it's mostly the humidity and the amount of water that comes in all the time. Whereas here we have mild winters that have a lot of water and we have dry summers with almost no water. And that includes really low humidity in the air. If you go over there, humidity is really high all the time. And they have really intense winters where, funny enough, we're actually higher in latitude than um, like Massachusetts, Portland is. Mm. I think actually Seattle too. But because of the way that we're geologically set up, their jet stream causes it to get wicked cold, as they would say, <laughs> in the wintertime, and ours do not. Though these trees grow up like the Rocky Mount- or in the Rocky Mountains, really high in elevation, so they can take the cold temperatures, which is why they don't die, but the rest of their ecosystem, just for whatever reason, is not suitable. I see. So you can get them, they grow just fine over here. You can plant catalpas everywhere. You can plant, you know, a bunch of different species of trees in Oregon and they grow like gangbusters, like Mm. better than they would anywhere else, except they tend to not sprout themselves in. Their seeds, for whatever reason, do not find the perfect conditions. Maybe they need to go to a really deep freezing cold. Maybe they need to sit in water. Maybe they need to be on top of bare soil, but there's so much undergrowth that they never quite get there. They're a little too shaded. There's a bunch of different reasons. Oh, okay. So you're saying they can, uh, part of that naturalizing process is like procreation. Yeah, it's the entire process. So they can grow here if you plant them, Yeah, but they can't necessarily procreate here. Exactly. And create more of themselves. Exactly. Without the help of people. Like I I, Yeah, you can can grow a seed, and then maybe that seed will grow up, and then you can plant that seed and establish it, but for whatever reason, if you just left it to its own devices, that seed would not grow itself. Or if it does grow, it might sprout and then immediately die. I'm sorry it took me so long to connect that dot, but I finally understand it. Yeah, no worries. Um, but yeah, so a lot of times um, you need to match up like the latitude. So if you're high in latitude, higher in elevation. Yeah. Those things match up because you have the same kind of temperature regimens. I see. Um, but humidity, that also becomes a thing. Rainfall, as long as the rainfall is roughly uh, at the same level, it's probably going to be okay. However, over here in the Rockies, you know, rainfall only comes during the uh, the winter time, And then you get these big, huge storms every now and then that come through in the spring, summer, and fall. Over there, their rainfall comes pretty consistently throughout the entire year. Yeah. And the humidity is way different. So it might just be that the trees are just like, I'm sweating. I can't handle this. I need it to be more dry because that's how I have evolved to have water flow in and out of me, maybe. I Who see. Knows? Yeah. All so, right. I don't know the exact answer, but there's a lot of little answers that come in there. Yeah. Thank you, Carrie, for your question. If you have a question about trees for Casey, email us at arbitrarypod at gmail.com. Join us on our Instagram, at ArbitraryPod. That's A-R-B-O-R-T-R-A-R-Y, pod. You can also support this podcast on our Patreon, patreon.com slash ArbitraryPod. You can join the Arboretum, get two bonus episodes a month, fortnightly. Or you can join the Cone of the Month Club and get a unique die-cut cone sticker illustrated by an independent artist every single month in the mail. It's cute and a lot of fun. Our thanks to Aaron Silverman of Tales and Trotters, 
check them out online and go to their store in Portland mm-hmm. if you can. Get some prosciutto. Yeah, get some of that. Get some of that prosciutto from the prosciutto program. Casey, Alex, we've done it again, my friend. Job well done. Same we've, to you. We've made ourselves hungry. <laughs> I certainly am. I think I, I'll, I'll go. I may go get some. I may go get a sandwich. Yeah, there you go. And then everyone, <laughs> like at some point, people are going to like just stand outside the business, hoping to catch us walking in the room. <laughs> We're like uh, a '90s Leonardo DiCaprio coming out of the club. That's exactly what we are. Oh, he still goes to the club. I'm, I'm sure he does. Now he goes to the yacht. Yeah, that's true. Case Alex Until next time I'll see you there (laughs) Yeah It'll be here Uh, Two of us in this room Nice Thank you so much for listening to Completely Arbitrary We'll see you next time Bye bye Au revoir Completely Arbitrary is produced by Alex Croson and Casey Clapp our artwork is by Jillian Barthold, and our music is by Aves and the Mini Vandals. And you can support the podcast at patreon.com slash arbitrarypod. And find additional readings at completelyarbitrary.com. Thanks for listening. 